Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Kate Lindsay about an integrative approach to behavioural cases seen in veterinary practice. Kate is the founder and leader of Calm Pets, which is a dog training centre in Perth, WA, offering training, behavioural consultations, puppy classes and doggy daycare. Kate completed a Bachelor of Science with First Class Honours in Zoology in 2000, before completing her veterinary science degree, also with honours, at Murdoch University in Perth. Since then, Kate has completed her membership in Animal Behaviour and Veterinary Behaviour Medicine with the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists, qualifying her as an animal behaviourist. Hi Kate, Uh, welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Very excited to talk on this topic. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about an integrative approach to behavioural cases. And I know that you see a lot of behavioural cases, given that that is your um, main business over there in WA. Um, but before we jump into the topic, Kate, I'd really love to hear your your story. So what made you want to be a vet um, and how did you end up working in the field of behaviour? Um, I'm going to try and keep this as brief as possible (laughs) um, because it's quite a long, my journey was quite a long journey. I grew up in Albany um, on a semi-rural property Mm -hmm. and from the minute, you know, from as early as I can remember, I was fascinated with animals. I was always bringing some poor creature home from the bush and, you know, feeding it and creating a little environment and just watching its behaviours. And so it was only natural when I um, finished um, high school that I went into animal-related field and I actually went into zoology and I completed um, that degree with honours and I came out of that with even more passion for animal behaviour, then went into veterinary medicine Gosh. And completed that degree. And then when I finished my vet degree, I was in practice for about a year when I started to wonder why we took the approach that we took with uh, our patients in a hospital setting, mm-hmm. but also why was I euthanizing, you know, why why were people requesting euthanasia of animals for behavior problems? Why, yeah. you know, what, what, what else could be done? Why did a dog that bites someone have to be let go, you know, I didn't understand where we were going wrong and we often weren't, I didn't feel very comfortable that we were interpreting what the animals were saying to us accurately and Mm. so then I went on this journey of uh, getting more information about animal behaviour and doing a membership at the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists in the field of animal behaviour and once I did that, every I I started my own business, Calm Pet. Mm -hmm which was basically me in a bag and <laughs> um, I did home visits and I never advertised. It was just word of mouth. Wow. And I started going around to people's homes, but then that got so busy that I needed a home base and that's where the, the Animal Behaviour Centre came in. And yes. there was a – so the main part of it is the behavioural consultancy where we do training. We also do uh, dog sports like agility um, and my little kind of luxury item on the side is the dog daycare, which I is becoming an increasing popular business, but I wanted to make sure that we were doing it right, yes. that the animals were, because it's not normal for dogs to be in that kind of environment. I wanted to make sure, because I knew it could be done better. So that was my little luxury item. So when I'm having a bad day, which almost never happens, Aww. I go and sit with my, my little doggy friends in the daycare and Aww. we, 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 um, and they make me feel better. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. And I have visited mm. your um, your centre over there in Perth and it is really impressive. I've definitely never seen anything like it. Um, I was I was quite blown away. So you, you've done amazing work there. Thank They're you. Very Thank lucky you. to have We're you. very proud of it. Yeah, <laughs> you, should of it. <laughs> you should be. You should be. Okay. And so how long has Carpets been up and running now? So the building itself opened in 2015 and we... So we're going into our fourth year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calm Pets started uh, in 2012. Okay. Um, so it's it's getting a little bit of age on it. Um, it's growing in popular popularity every year, which is 
wonderful. And every year we're adding on new services to try and meet the needs of our clients. So it's very exciting business to be part of. And is it just yourself that is the main vet there or have you got other vets working with you? We have another vet. Uh, There's always two of us um, standing by and because we like to take a team approach to our cases Mm -hmm. because we want to – it's a bit like if you had a child that was having difficulty in a classroom. You'll have the clean psych and you'll have the teacher and you might have the teacher's aide and the parents and the whole team is going to be working to help improve the behaviour of that child. And so with the, with our um, canine patients as well, we want to have a team approach because everybody's got a different skill set. So I have uh, my veterinary colleague, I have um, three trainers as well that all have slightly different skill sets. So when we come together on cases, we know that we're getting the absolute best outcome. And the, the proof is in the pudding because the, our patients uh, you uh, uniformly improve. Wow. That sounds... Absolutely amazing. I wish we had something like that over in Sydney. <laughs> Maybe you should start a franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I might need a few more people. But, yes. <laughs> um, it's certainly, we're, we're very passionate about education and spreading the word. And mm. um, all, we have a lot of free resources because I want more than anything to get this, the right information out there about animal behaviour and how to solve problems. Yeah. so that we are maintaining better welfare standards for our companions. Yeah, and their quality of life is why we why we do it, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, Kate, tell me when you're um, sort of going out into the world and, and trying to pick up, you know, the latest research and new information in this field, uh, is there is there much happening? Is there is there many trials and cases and things coming up coming up each year, or is it still there quite is. hard? Okay, that's good. No, it, there is. There's lot. There's every year. Um, I, I keep I keep on track. Actually, that's one of my favourite things to do is see what's new and what mm. what the latest research is. It's ever expanding because the dog model of um, anxiety which mm-hmm. is one type of mental health problem that they can have. Um, the the research that we're doing with dogs is being used for people as well, particularly yeah. also when it comes to things like doggy dementia, which is... Yes, I was going to um, say that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really, there's so much that um, is benefiting the human health population population health-wise mm-hmm. um, that so there's a there's an integrated approach there between human and animal veterinary medicine as well which so there's always new things coming out and keeping uh, on top of it is really important especially because my field is brains and yes. there's really so little that we know about brains and there's an ever-expanding amount of information available and keeping on top of that to make sure that we're using the most up-to-date approach with our patients is really, really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that going back to doggy dementia, um, I know that um, they've actually identified some of the changes that happen in the brain in in terms of the amyloid plaques and things are almost identical to what happens with human Alzheimer's. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that, that is absolutely correct. Um, so the, the amyloid plaques, we know that when we look at a microscope, down the microscope at a brain from a dog that has um, doggy dementia are exactly the same and, and the way that they're produced and the mechanisms that they're produced in the brain is exactly the same for people. Wow. So the research that has been done on dog dementia is, has made a huge difference to the way that we treat and manage Alzheimer's in people. Wow. And recognising as well as, as it's not just getting old, it's not um, no. it's not just memory loss associated with aging. This is actually an actual disease. disease. Doggy dementia yeah. and Alzheimer's is a real disease. Yeah. And there is pathology in the brain and there are lots and lots of things that we can do to slow the progression of that condition. No, I think that it's important to make that differentiation because there's a lot of people that just think, Oh dear, my dog's getting old, he seems a bit confused. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and don't really know that there's something to do. Exactly. It's so true. And I always come back to that saying. Age is not a disease. Mm. So uh, trouble right. with, um, tr- you know, pain is also, pain is not an acceptable age-related change. Um, confusion is not an acceptable age-related change. Mm. Um, there are lots and lots of things that we can do to give them pain-free um, 
you know, mo- you know, the laugh is if they're life comfortable, yeah, relaxed, we can keep their brain healthy, we can keep their bodies healthy, and there's a lot we can do now, yeah. which is um, really fantastic. And people want that as well. Um, you know, dog, dogs and cats and other pets are part of people's families now family, more than absolutely. any more than ever before so and they're living so much absolutely. longer now so we you know we we need to have methods in place where we can support their health until you know some some dogs are leaving living to sort of nearly 20 years old these days exactly so yeah, which is yeah. really nice you yeah. know and it's so true and we we you know more and more people are looking for ways that they can support the health and well-being and and it's really important and it's it's really important also from the perspective of being a veterinarian that it goes well in those last years in the senior years for our dogs because it can be extraordinarily traumatic when it Mm. doesn't go well both for the patient but also for the family and absolutely that final decision you know that looms over a senior dog's um health at the end of the day there's a lot a lot of difficulty that people have saying well when is the time when do I say when do I let them go and that whole it, it's so important that we do that well yeah for, for the sake of the, for the dog but also for the family yeah it's always such a such a hard decision to make but it, you're it's right really hard yeah, yeah. it's really should. hard but it's, but it's a decision made from love and that oh absolutely is, yeah, 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 but it is it is super hard. But we want, but there's so many things that we can do now to turn back the clock for um, the senior dog and mm. give them that zest back and that spark. Yeah, and it's really quite. It can be really quite dramatic when the right treatments have been yeah. implemented. Absolutely, I, I've seen it firsthand. I, I have no doubt. Um, I'd really love to get into the details of that, but I just wanted to go back a step. Um, you mentioned earlier that anxiety was just one of the different mental illnesses that you see in dogs. Um, what are the what are the others? Because I think that it's not commonly known that dogs actually have different sorts of mental illnesses like people. But yeah. can you di- can you actually di- diagnose a dog with a specific mental illness like a person would? You can do it as well as you can with people in that you're looking for a group of behavioural signs that represent dysfunction in particular parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. So we can look at if we have, you know, particular presentations. So, for example, we have anxiety is the most common, but it yeah. manifests. The way that we see it will be completely dependent on the individual. So yes. some dogs will be anxious and the way that it will look is obsessive type behaviours like pacing, circling, tail chasing, excessive licking of their body or excessive yeah. licking of their environment. There, there are, you know, staring. There are lots of different ways. Even barking can be an obsessive compulsive type condition. But yes. the, that is not the diagnosis. The di- primary diagnosis is anxiety. And it's a funny word, anxiety, because it's, we attach all sorts of things to it um, based on what we've learned throughout our lifetime. But at the end, what we're really talking about is dysfunction or suboptimal performance of some circuitry in the brain yes and um so it's a real thing it's a real anatomical thing going on in the brain that isn't working in the same way that when we have a seizure disorder there's a real anatomical thing going on in the brain yeah Uh, so anxiety is one there are also some sleep disorders that dogs can get sleep disorder where they can have aggressive output bursts while they're asleep really people can get really badly injured with that um there are a variety of other um, attention deficit type sensory processing type disorders that they can get. Okay. Um, it is very controversial. Um, one of the most controversial is the concept that dogs can suffer from autism. Right. But we actually do see dogs that have severe social impairment coupled with anxiety that manifests as obsessive compulsive type conditions and oh. that also have they're hypervigilant and hypersensitive to noise and sounds and stimuli. So they have patterns of behaviour that is very, very similar. And although we, we can't 
um, we can't say that definitely is what's going on. We can say that there are the, this pattern, and it helps to understand. Having a diagnosis is really important to me, yeah, um, because we will hang everything off that diagnosis. But the diagnosis is going to be specific to that individual. No two. I've never treated two patients that have the same condition yeah. because it will be. Um, Harry's diagnosis, Harry's disease, it'll be Fred's disease, it'll yes. be Teddy's disease. So it's going to be very specific to the individual. But that diagnosis is also helps us to have a common understanding of what's going on with that patient so that the team is working towards a common um, goal. Yeah. And at then least it gives you some structure as well to the treatment if you... Absolutely. You can then tailor Absolutely. it to the individual, but at least you... And then, of course, yeah. we have... Yeah, exactly. It's got to be individualised. There's no one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the other mental mental health condition that's often put under my banner is cognitive dysfunction. Yes, of course. Um, even though it is a neurological condition, um, it affects parts of the brain that are important for emotional processing. So yeah. that's why it comes under under my sort of area of expertise. And Kate, do you believe that dogs can suffer from depression? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. That's a big one. So yeah. that and actually there are lots of articles that prove that. We also know that they can suffer from post traumatic stress disorder. Yes. The dogs that have come over that have come back from Afghanistan have all the hallmarks of this condition. Wow. Um, and the dogs that suffer from uh, clinical depression, what happens with clinical depression is that if the if a if a dog is chronically stressed, and I mean over a really long period of time, um, it depletes all the chemicals that the brain uses to process emotions, mm-hmm. and to recover from that takes a long time. It yeah. can take at least a year to restore the balance of those chemicals, and you need to have the right nutrition. Um, to to rehabilitate or restore that brain to normal functioning. So depression is absolutely well documented to occur in dogs, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know that as well as things like post traumatic stress disorder. And when you're talking about these chemicals, are you talking about the neurotransmitters, serotonin, absolutely. dopamine? So that's right. Yeah, yeah all yeah. of those. And and you know there are still we still. Serotonin, dopamine, and noradrenaline are the ones we know the most about. Yeah, there are many, many, many more, and there are many receptors for each of these particular brain chemicals, neurotransmitters, and that we really know so little. And but a lot of emphasis put on the ones that we know the most about. So yes. serotonin is the one that everyone goes, you know, nuts over. Yeah, but the uh, it's not the most important. Just the one that has had the most amount of research yes. done on it. Um, nonetheless, it is really important um, and there is a huge amount of research around serotonin, dopamine and, and noradrenaline and making sure that when we are fueling our brains that we have the right type of fuel to be able to produce those particular brain chemicals. Um, yeah. so that our brain function well. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a really nice segue um, when you're talking about fuel for the brain and for the body to ensure that these neurotransmitters are produced in the right balance. Um, I know that I know that you're quite interested in nutrition and use nutrition quite a lot in your cases or probably in every case, um, but take us through what you would um, implement in a patient's diet if you believed that their neurotransmitters were out of balance or, or just a general approach to um, how nutrition plays a role in your case management. Okay, so w- what my approach is a whole health approach. If I just treat the behaviour problem and I don't, um, you know, take in any interest in what else is going on with that animal, then we're going to have a half-baked response. So yeah. it's really important that we look at all the aspects of that dog's um, health. And one of the most important thing is is that brain fuel, making sure that whatever we're putting into our patient's bodies is going to meet all of their, the needs of their various processes. So, for example, um, omega-3s. Mm. which are just super amazing and I put all my 
behaviour cases on omega-3s, mm-hmm. increased omega-3s, because omega-3s are from predominantly from fish oils and there are two different types of omega-3s. There's icosatentinoic acid and docohexanoic acid. Well done. And, <laughs> and, yeah, and or EPA and DHA yeah. is probably a little bit more friendly. Um, and these come from really oily fish, things like mackerel, um, herring, sardine, tuna, yep. salmon. Yep. Some plants have them, but for dogs, they it's much easier for them to extract the omega-3 from those sources than it is to get it from plant sources. So yes. things like linseed um, are really high in omega-3s, but it's actually very difficult. We can get it out when we have it, but it's very hard for dogs to get it out. Yeah, of, I have heard that. Um, of that kind of nutrition. And the levels that we need to have health benefits, the levels of omega-3s that we need to have health benefits are in excess of what we can readily achieve through diet alone. Okay. So having supplements, having omega-3 supplements or an additional source is really, really important. And what omega-3 does in in the brain is um, it reduces inflammation. Mm -hmm. It also um, is, is used to make supporting cells for the brain. Yep. So it's one of – and it's had a humongous amount of research done into yes. it. And it has been scientifically proven to have a significant impact on things like anything that had involved inflammation. So joint health is really important. Mm-hmm. Any any dogs that have chronic skin conditions yep. and they've got inflammation. Um, yep. Gut health. And, Gut health yep. um, and brain. So yep. I put all of my patients will have um, omega-3s. Mm-hmm. I just I just love it. There are some patients that can't tolerate it, but they're far and few between. So that's one that everybody gets. And um, sorry, Kate, just it, to interrupt, what sort of doses are you aiming for, for EPA so and DHA? You actually need to use quite high doses. Mm-hmm. So a rule of thumb, if you are, depending on what product you're using, and there are lots of them, um, is that the the you use a half half human dose for the small breed dogs and um, a um, adult human dose for the large breed dogs. But you can, and you can't really overdo omega three. No. Um, so there are um, there are recommendations um, from three hundred milligrams per kilo. Upwards, wow. depending on if it's humongous, yeah. so really huge doses, and that's and of fish oil. That's of total fish oil. That not, yeah, not yeah, individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's the the dose you actually need. So you want to have it in your diet, and then you want to have on top of that, you want to have your supplements. Yeah. Wow. And so you you can't overdo omega threes. That's one thing that you really um, can go pretty heavy handed on. Um, so one way I like to do that is I like to make sure that that my patients have whole fresh sardines. Yeah. And um, you can get them from most fishmongers, and a lot of them have gotten frozen. These are um, human grade sardines. They're a great source of omega threes mm-hmm. and a whole lot of other really good stuff that's good for brains. Um, and then on top of that, using a omega three supplement. Okay. Um, can't can't say enough about omega three. Yep. <laughs> um, the other one that I love is Sammy. Yeah. And that is S L methionine. Yep. And that is produced by the liver. Um, and this, there are the trouble with this particular compound, different from omega three, is that there aren't any foods that have a high Sammy level, so okay. we have to actually our dogs actually have to make it yes. from what they're getting from their diet, from and the if methionine. they're not getting the right things from the diet, exactly. Yeah. So you need to get you need to get methionine containing foods, and this is going to be things like beef, lamb, chicken, fish. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some non um, meat sources, but for for dogs, the easiest way for them to get it are, are things like fish, chicken, lamb and beef. Mm-hmm. So when we're feeding our sardines, we're also getting methionine, yes. um, which is fantastic. And you also, when you're feeding that, you can't just supplement. Uh, you can you can get supplements with methionine in it, mm-hmm. but you have to also make sure that you've got plenty of vitamin D in your diet because methionine on its own can't do anything without vitamin B. Right. They're okay. important cofactors. 
um, that help to make um, the SAMI. So it's not just enough. You've got to be really careful when there's these trends with, oh, we need more methionine and that will mean we're going to have more SAMI. You have to make sure that everything is always in balance. You, you know, no one thing um, is is taking um, pr- priority. So what SAMI does is it slows the breakdown of serotonin, dopamine and noradrenaline in the brain. Okay. And it also does something amazing, which is it increases the sensitivity of the serotonergic, dopaminergic and noradrenergic receptors to those chemicals. So not only are we increasing the availability of those major brain chemicals, but we're also increasing the ability of those chemicals to communicate with their receptors. Wow. And this is why they are, you know, that particular um, compound is one of my favourites because mm. we can use that in early stages um, of anxiety or if we know some, a stressful event is coming up for our patient or if we have patients that are on a medication for anxiety but we can't get it up to a therapeutic dose because that patient has too many side effects, we can use it effectively at a lower dose if we add in um, SAMI. Right, okay. So that's the really useful yeah. one, especially if you've got old dogs that have liver or kidney dysfunction and you just want to keep everything a little bit on the low side. Yes. Um, so that's that's a really, really fantastic. So that one is best to get as a as a supplement. Um in specific in specific cases, but in well behaviorally well animals, making sure that they are getting protein sources that have got methionine, and making sure they have got plenty of vitamin B is going to be a really um, key thing for promoting their brain health. And Kate, is it um, is it any is it? Um, I know there's quite a few different B vitamins. Is are you supplementing with a complex, or is it just making sure that they're having um, sources of B vitamins in their diet? B twelve, and we also need folate. Yep, um, is are, are the most important ones in terms of SAMI. But B B twelve is particularly important for brains because it also help, is involved in the production of of the neurotransmitters as well as regulating the amount of energy that is available to the brain for its function. Yes. So vitamin B12 is a really, really important one um, in, in brain brain. And function. are you generally supplementing that as well or is that just I, a diet thing? I, I, no, I actually do, especially in my older patients because as you age, your ability to extract nutrients from your diet, especially, is harder. and. Yeah. And everything just is a little bit harder, so you need to use much higher levels. But they also, a lot of these dogs, if they've had chronic conditions, uh, their gut their their gut function isn't as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. So making sure that any animal that is unwell, using a, a little boost of vitamin B is really helpful. Um, yeah. And but certainly that's a really useful vitamin B twelve, omega three, and SAMI are my favourites. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, and make but looking at the diet and making sure we've got sufficient levels of omega threes, methionine, and um, uh, trypt, uh, tryptophan, which I haven't talked about yet. Yes, we'll get onto that. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, much to talk I about. Forgot, I have got another favourite vitamin B. So I've got I've got more favourites. <laughs> um, I mean, there's just so many. Yeah. You know, uh, making sure you've got plenty of antioxidants and um, it is also really important in in your yeah. diet. Yeah. And is that generally? Um, are you are you ensuring that these dogs are having their diets? mainly home cooked so they've got the meat and the fish and fruit and veggies for antioxidants um, yeah, or, so this is yeah. the big question yeah this is the big question and it's something that i am very interested in because yes. there in fact is this a whole field of medicine called nutritional psychiatry and what they're now doing is treating really complex psychiatric illnesses in people with diets yeah well, the GAPS diet is, is one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, and this is 
where, you know, it's a minefield, you know, yeah. do you feed raw? Do you feed, yes. do you have home cooked raw or purchased raw? Do you make make a cooked diet or do you buy a cooked diet? Do you get dry kibble or, you know, and yeah. then your vet saying this is imbalanced and, and, it, and it's really actually very confusing and it I is. think it's actually going to get more confusing for a while yeah. um, before it gets less confusing. Sorry about that, but yeah. that, that definitely seems to be the case. And, and I actually, myself, I'm constantly conflicted about it. But the because with homemade, um, the at the moment the science tells us that unfortunately homemade is one of the worst things you can feed because it's not necessarily balanced. Yeah, it's so tricky. the important thing, and I think when you when we talk about the nutritional supplements and things that you need in your diet, you can understand why that would be the case. Mm. Because if we're feeding a particular recipe of vegetables and mints, well, are we getting enough methionine? Are we getting enough omega-3s? Are we getting enough vitamin B? Like we don't know because we're not, you know, we're not, we're not, haven't got the right expertise. So, but there are some really amazing resources that are out there to help you make your homemade diet balanced. Um, That's good. At the moment, um, I, my feeling is that variety is really important. Mm. It's important for lots of reasons. It's important because if one diet is, is deficient in something, the next diet hopefully won't be. Mm. And you're always you're always making sure that you're also offering something that's interesting to your dog because feeding what I do know is that feeding the exact same food day in, day out yeah. for a whole dog's life. How boring. Is a form, it's boring and to, in my mind it's a form of sensory deprivation knowing yeah. that our dog's greatest sense is their smell. sense of smell. Yeah. And if we're feeding them the same thing, it's like having wheat bix for every meal for your entire Forever. life. Yeah. I actually think that would cause clinical depression. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just, it would. you know, we get a lot of enjoyment out of our food. Yeah. And, and dogs would normally, if we look at wild dog populations, they're out grazing and they're finding different things and they are getting variety. Mm. And so variety is really important because we're going to have much, we're going to increase the likelihood that we're going to to have all our nutritional needs met yes. um, and that we are going to have all of those key nutrients. So how, um, do you, so how do you balance variety without wanting to upset their microbiome? Oh, yeah. See, microbiome, so this is another fascinating area, <laughs> is the gut-brain axis. Yes. So um, we know that feeding the right we, we want to feed the microbiome. Now, we don't actually know a humongous amount about the little um, population of bacteria that lives in our dog's guts, but I always feel it's a bit like, for those Dr. Zeus fans, um, Horton Hears a Who. It's like these imaginary... So Horton Hears a Who is this elephant that finds a whole community living on a speck on a flower, and oh. it's those tiny little people that if you don't look after them, then, you know, the whole ecosystem falls apart. So the yeah. little tiny microbiome bacteria living in your dog's gut, we have to feed them the right foods because they are actually really crucial to the production of those brain Neurotransmitters, chemicals. yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. if we don't have the right nutrients, they just can't produce them. Mm. Um, and so keeping that... that um, gut healthy is absolutely key and I always tell and this is a bit gross to some people but you've got to look at what's going into your dog and you've got to look what's coming oh, out yeah. of your dog yeah and you've got to become familiar you know get your poo chart out you've got to keep it <laughs> a lot of my clients I have doing poo diaries doing a Bristol um, a Bristol stool chart or the um, the doggy yeah, one the Bristol stool okay. the doggy one yeah and, you know, you've got to look at what's coming out because if what's coming out is really smelly and a yeah. funny colour and not really formed or looks like Mr Whippy, something's going it's terribly like wrong with your gut microbiome, yeah. you know. You, the gut bacteria are not happy. Yeah. Um, and you can change that fauna very, very quickly by feeding the right foods. And that's where things... Um, you know, that's where making sure that your serotonin is right because serotonin is actually crucial for the gut gut's, um, function. So it is involved in 
um, all those lovely borborygmi, all those lovely contractions of the gut that push the food through the gut. Yeah, peristalsis. If you've got delayed transit time, so that's the other thing to look out for. How many poos is my dog doing every day? Mm. And um, have I got a delayed transit time or have I got, or is it too quick? Is it just coming out the other end and it's still got half undigested food? So mm. that's another sign that either your serotonin is working against you or your gut microbiome is not happy. So those... Um, Making sure that we're feeding for gut health is really important. And there okay. are lots of foods that we can use. Um, yeah. Can you list boost. some of them? So I like to use things like broccoli. A lot yep. of dogs actually really love broccoli. It's got a huge amount of antioxidants in it um, and it's um, generally quite palatable to most dogs, but you, you you sort of blanch it. You don't want to overcook it. If you If you start feeding broccoli to your puppies, then they're going to um, uh, develop a taste for it and it's not going to be so difficult. If you offer a bit of broccoli to a 17-year-old dog that's never had it before, might not be quite so successful. So things like broccoli, eggs are fantastic because they are full of your vitamin Bs, Mm -hmm. B6 and B12, folate and choline. And so they're really good. Um, The other thing is... um, Sweet, sweet potato and pumpkin and beans and lentils and prebiotics. Um, yeah, pre, yeah, all of your prebiotics and yeah. that and because we know that with our probiotics that they're not necessarily they they might be getting too damaged when when you're giving them to your dog and they might not ever get down to where they need to be. Mm. So if we're using prebiotics, that we're going to build up the population of bacteria that are the good bacteria. Yes. Um, in your in your in your dog, um, bananas are really good too if your yeah. dog will eat them. Yeah, and the greener bananas are better because they've got higher resistant starch. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Green is good, and and colourful, colourful fruit and vegetables are really good because they are also they're going to be packed full of antioxidants. Yeah, um, of course there are things that you need to avoid with dogs, but truthfully, there are very few things in the veg um, in the raw and fresh department that are going to result in the immediate death of your dog. <laughs> you know, they might not feel well for a day or two, but there are very few things that will, that you know, that are going to cause big problems for your dog. So mm. don't, people need to be less afraid. However, you've got to make sure that whatever you're giving is complete and balanced. Yes. That's the thing. So yeah. you can get really excited and give your dog broccoli and all this kind of stuff, but you've got to make sure that, Part of that, and, th- and that's where these commercial diets do come in because there's a lot of the good ones have got a lot of research behind them, and they have you know made sure that they are meeting the minimum standards for the nutritional requirements of dogs. Yes. So that so that is sometimes it takes the stress out of it is having something that's complete and balanced that is part of it, but then you add variety on top of that. Yeah, I think that's a sensible approach. Um, yeah, almost yeah. thinking of the All dry food in as moderation. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. thinking of the dry food almost like a mineral and vitamin powder that's yeah. in kibble yeah. form. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That you yeah. that you add everything to. Um yeah. going back just quickly, um i I do want to talk about a few other things, but when you said that you use Sammy, I know there's quite a lot of controversy around the um, sort of fragility of the Sammy molecule um, and the different forms it's available in. Do you generally reach for um, just a, a human kind of off-the-shelf product or, or how, are you, um, how are you sort of getting around those issues of the, um, the instability of the molecule? Yeah, and this is a problem also with omega-3. Mm. So there and a lot of supplements. So... I, for me, it comes down to the quality of the product. I'm not going to just grab something off the supermarket shelf or I would, um, I recommend my clients go and speak to the pharmacist mm-hmm. and make sure that they are getting the a higher quality product um, because it can, you know, things like omega-3s can denature very quickly, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of there's huge controversy about the quality of because there are no recommendations for supplements. I mean, there are no guidelines and, and rules yeah. and regulations, so they can't. They don't have to. Uh, you know, the, the, 
the mainstream pharmaceuticals go through this rigorous process and we know that what's in it is in it and it's been proven time and time again. But with supplements, it's very hazy yeah. and um, the, you know, the, the instability of the, the, the um, compounds and so you want to make sure that you are getting quality products. So I would uh, hesitate to I hesitate to recommend buying online. I, you need to go and speak to your local pharmacist because I can say um, I can recommend recommend a particular brand, but um, if they're not they're not stocking it, then they may to find an alternative. So I. I often speak to my pharmacist. So I'll say, "What do you think about such and such, or what what's new, what's um, what's got research behind it?" Yes. Um, I want to make sure that it's got research behind it, that it's scientifically um, it's science backed, so that I know that when I'm giving this supplement to my dog, that it is receiving what I intend to intend it to receive. Because otherwise, it's just throwing money down the sink, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you talk about research behind it, are you talking about human literature? So do you lean quite a lot on the human literature when it's lacking in dogs and cats? I do. I do extrapolate, but there are there is a lot of crossover because a lot of them ha- have a lot of these um a lot of the research started with supplementing rats in the laboratory or rabbits or you know whatever they were feeding the particular nutrients to um, because they have to work out what levels are safe you know how high can we go and so there is an increasing um, amount of of research using supplements in dogs mm-hmm. um, so that's good it's good yes. time to, for dogs to be alive yeah um, but it is I do look at because there is a huge amount of um, human literature, obviously. Yeah, 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 no. And making sure that that's coming from um, a good source. Yeah. So that's the other thing. I'm always looking with my critical eye, and that's my my science um, background, is making sure that here's an article on this supplement, you know, how many were in this trial, uh, what sort of statistics did they run, was it a really significant result, and and so, and and for a lot of people, it's quite hard to understand those articles and know whether it is a good um, peer-reviewed um, article, and that it has got double-blind placebo, mm. placebo control and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, which is why, if you're not sure, then just ask your pharmacist or ask your um, veterinarian to help you. Yeah. Um, because that these people can easily translate that that jargon into something that is understandable for you. Yeah, yeah. No, gosh, I, I wish that we um, had the the ability and the the luxury of having so much research done in in veterinary patients as humans get. But um, at I least know. it's <laughs> at least it's nice to know that we can extrapolate. And yeah, um, you do you do have to be careful. And there, oh, now I'm going to have to. My brain's going to fail me. But there is. Um, a really good textbook on nutrients that tells you the safe upper limit based oh, it's on the, the research nutrient that's requirement. been done to date. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah so based on the research that's been done to date, um, they're the safe upper limits. But, yep. And I think that it's an important point that you make because it's all very well to say, oh, my dog needs turmeric because I've heard turmeric is good for memory and it, it boosts serotonin and dopamine, but that turmeric actually does have to be metabolized by your dog's liver and kidney mm. and it actually has been shown to cause very very high um, enzyme levels uh, liver enzymes and make dogs really sick oh, so right. you've got you can't you can't you've got to be so careful with nutritional psychiatry because anything that you put into your dog's body is going to have to be processed and some of those the waste products of that processing can be really harmful. So yes. it, you you want to be careful because it's very easy to get very excited about this, all of this, um, new, all of these nutrients. But you you need to just remember that that these are things that you're putting into your dog's body in the same way you're putting medicine into your dog's body sometimes. Yes. And your dog's body has to be able to break it down and process it and use it. So anything that goes in, it doesn't matter what it is, has the potential to do harm. And there can be too much of a good thing. And turmeric is one of those that sometimes I worry about because 
that's been a, a recent trend. Yes. And making sure that that's not overdone and realising that that actually can um, have, you know, and there's been a quite a number of cases because of this rising popularity. So when you are buying products, making sure that you're looking at what is the quality of this product, mm-hmm. what is the research behind this product and talking to someone that has real expertise in that area is really important. Yeah, absolutely. No, really important point to make there, Kate. I do find it a challenge sometimes sifting through some of the the kind of poorer quality literature that exists out there and you do have yeah. to look at it with a discerning eye, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, Kate, now I have to ask the, the question that is always brought up is we're going to jump into serotonin syndrome because I know we've touched a little bit about um, tryptophan and um, you did mention sometimes you do combine SAMe with some pharmaceutical medications. What are your thoughts on serotonin syndrome when using tryptophan or SAMe or any other um, serotonin altering supplement or natural ingredient with an SSRI? Okay, so this is one that yeah, I agree. People ask me about it mm. all the time. And it is actually very, very uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we – and it, 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 it does – I think obviously it's scary because the it has the potential to cause death. Yes. But the amount that you would have to be giving is well in excess of anything that anyone would ever reasonably give a dog. And um, – and dogs aren't going to eat a packet of Lovan because it tastes dreadful. <laughs> so it's, there's a very low there's a very low risk. So that's the first good news. The yes. other thing is that whenever you're combining medicines, whether they're nutraceutical supplements or they're mainstream, you want to introduce the second um, medication at a lower dose and gradually increase it because that way, when you only if your serotonin syndrome does happen. And look, I've just, I've never seen it. I've seen plenty of other side effects, but, that, but nothing that's ever um, been threatening, has threatened the patient's life. Um, so it's just making sure you're gradually introducing it because then if you do start to see um, vomiting or um, twi- muscle twitches yep. or any other side effects, you, all, all you have to do is go back to the last dose. But, yeah, you know the 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 dose that worked before, um, or stop stop the supplement. You can't suddenly stop SSRIs, but you no. can suddenly stop supplements. Yeah. So it's it's something that people worry about a lot, but it, in reality, um, it's very very uncommon. And I've spoken at length to um, specialist veterinary behaviourists about this, and they share my my experience in that they just don't ever see it and we use medications at the sometimes we use them at the upper limits and above yeah Um, right so it's it's very very uncommon um i've even had people that have accidentally given double doses of the medication to their dogs um and their supplement and still no serotonin syndrome so i think it's and even in humans it's not very common um and it's very hard to also prove that that is what's going on because mm. a lot of the you know these medications that we're giving can can cause they can lower the threshold for seizures and so we might have focal or low grade type seizures that look like serotonin syndrome but yeah. actually is not is not serotonin syndrome yeah. it's something else altogether yeah. so there is a very low risk um, but I always um, I tend to um, if I'm if I'm worried uh, about it, I will st- and I, and the and a SSRI is indicated. I'll start them on that, and then once I've got past six weeks, then I will add in something like SAMI or, or some other supplement. Okay. So that um, because what happens when you start the SSRI is you get a sudden surge, a sudden increase in uh, serotonin and some of the other neurotransmitters, and if you're also giving Sammy at the same time, they're both contributing to this sudden surge. Yes. And so if we wait till everything settles down and then we introduce it, we're minimising our risk. So I'll either do that or I will start one of them, either the drug or Sammy, at half dose. Okay. No, that that's good. But, that, that you know, the main, that main thing is it's, it's very rare and when it does happen, it, it tends not to be a big deal. Okay. 
Um, well, I mean, if you haven't seen a case and you've been working in this area and I know I that haven't. you're very busy, then, yeah. And I, and I haven't heard of a case. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, um, I think the, the fear that came about um, of serotonin syndrome in human literature, um, and sorry, in human medicine, didn't that all come about because of a bad batch of an SSRI in China? Did, have you I'm heard that story? I'm not sure. I haven't heard that yeah, story. Yeah, I have heard um, that and that's why the fear sort of came about and now it's um, kind of this mainstream fear of serotonin syndrome, but it all came about from it's that. It's funny, you know, there's a lot of fear around the use of um, uh, the use of medication, uh, mainstream medications for anxiety because of a lot of stories that simply aren't true. So mm. it it is, I think, I would say, in my experience, it seems that this is another one. I think it's definitely possible. Um, there are certain drugs that you simply shouldn't use together, things like using tramadol with an SSRI as a no-no, mm. uh, using a monoamine oxidase inhibitor while you're on SSRI, but not using SAMI. It, yeah. It's a very, very low risk. It's theoretically possible, but... It's very low risk, and I think provided you explain that to your to your clients, and you start very gently with your medications, it's very unlikely that it's ever going to be a problem. That sounds like a good plan. Mm. <laughs> thank you for thank you for clearing that up. Um, I know that we um, I know we could talk forever, but something I just wanted to touch on before I let you go back to your your day with your children is um, is have you had any any experience in using any herbs um, for anxiety in pets, or have you read about this at all? I have. So there are there's St John's Wort, mm-hmm. um, and there's Gustinia Cam. Oh no, that is St John's Wort. So, so St John's Wort has has been used, but that's one that is contraindicated with SSRIs. Yes, and okay. That is actually more um, of uh, that is a, you know in every sense of the word that is a real drug. Yes, um, and it um, is going to you know that that one is risky I get a little bit nervous about using some of those herbs because first of all I want to know that it's going to do something yeah uh, there's there's science behind it it's proven to be safe in my patients yeah and that we're not going to have any mild side effects that I'm not going to be able to tell and one of the worst things that can happen for dogs is um you know t- tell me the last time a vet diagnosed a headache in a dog you know mm. Yeah. Uh, headaches, things, you know, when you start mucking around with brains, you get dogs with headaches, you get dogs with nausea, chronic nausea, yeah. which is just, so would just sad. be the pits. Yeah. Like, the, I just think oh, there's any, I would do anything but have chronic nausea. Yeah. Um, and so I think I've tended to stay away from from those mm-hmm. because I want to make sure that I'm doing, first of all, doing no harm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's certainly one that has been used a bit. And then, of course, there's things like melatonin. Um, yes. And melatonin is another one that is the, the science is hazy, but when, you know, anecdotally we know that it's really useful for helping to regulate that daytime, nighttime cycle in mm-hmm. dogs with dementia. But we need to take caution because this is a chemical that is going to go through the blood-brain barrier and is going to impact the brain. And the same goes for just St. John's wort, which works a lot like um, some of our antidepressants, mm. only not as well. Mm-hmm. So in my, my, in my feeling at the moment is that I'd rather use something that um, I know works um, well and that has minimal side effects um, and has proven to, to be safe for my my veterinary patients. Yeah, no, and that that's very sensible. Um, mm, have you any mm. experience with any of the milk proteins? Um, oh, alpha casozepine. Mm. Yep. So alpha casozepine, um, which is a a protein that is it's, it's a it, um, a bioactive peptide. It works on the gamma aminobutyric acid receptors, GABA receptors in the mm-hmm. brain, and they're the same receptors that benzodiazepines like Valium work on. Yes. Um, so it is. It has calming properties through sedation, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, mild. Um, it is works better 
be more frequently give it and it's fantastic again for cases where they're going into you know the dogs are going into kennels or they're, a, a house move is coming up or a new dog is coming or a baby is coming so using it um in as a prophylactic yep um it works extremely well and it's very also very very safe to use in conjunction yeah. with SSRIs yes which is why you know I really uh, use that quite a lot oh great yeah, no, it's yeah. um, it's certainly something which I think is a a nice thing to to have um up your sleeve because it's so safe and it's quite palatable for the dogs as well. Palatable, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't have any bad interactions, so it's a very easy to use. Um, treatment and I yeah I like the alpha case of yeah. thank you for reminding me. Yeah. I would have hated, no, I would have hated to have missed talking about it. <laughs> there's there's just there's just so much oh, we could talk so about. Much to say. <laughs> yeah, we'll have so to have you back about. on another episode because I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. But I am oh, conscious. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm conscious of your time. Um, just a couple of things before I let you go, Kate. I know I've, I've not just said that before, but one thing I just wanted to talk about um, just quickly is if you're seeing a patient and you're asking a client to make all these changes and, and give some supplements and possibly some pharmaceuticals and, and attend training and, and do all these things, um, do, do you generally get quite good adherence um, for your for your clients? Do they generally walk away and follow the plan that you give them or is it quite challenging sometimes? We are really fortunate because we have a natural sort of filtering system for our clients in that the first thing is that they have to, before they come to see us, we ask them to fill out a questionnaire, which is relatively long. So if they don't make it through the questionnaire, then they're never going to make, going to adhere to the yes. plan that we give them. <laughs> so that's the first step of screening. Then we have an amazing reception team that will talk with the client about what, what, what service we feel will best suit their dog's needs. And, um, and then we have very long consultations and people need to be able to commit to that consultation time and generally they need to attend the clinic during work hours. So by the time we've done all of that, um, what our clients are, tend to be the most committed, committed, the most wonderful clients and um, so we have that natural screening process. So I, we don't have any problems. However, you do have to be careful that whatever treatment plan you make, is realistic for that particular household yes. because we have clients that have three billion children and, you know, everyone's working and the dog's just, you know, it's, it's part of the family and yeah. much loved and goes to daycare, but it needs to it needs in. to be realistic for yeah. the family. So I have a rule of thumb, a general rule of thumb, is at any one consultation they shouldn't have more than three things to go home yes, and do. Yes, I have so, heard that before. Yeah, and and... If you, it's, you know, it's lovely. I think sometimes as veterinarians, we have that pressure that we've got to appear to be like super duper intelligent and we've got to use all the fancy words <laughs> and we've got to give them heaps of handouts and look here, I have all this information because I know all this stuff. And, you know, whereas we tend to have a, we like pride ourselves on having a friendly approach yeah, and, and not going too technical, you know, that's yeah. why I use brain chemicals instead of neurotransmitters. Yeah. And, um, I want it to be friendly and approachable and not scary. And and so it needs to be really simple and it's got yeah. to be realistic because you can create some amazing behaviour modification program and environmental enrichment program and then that person's going to go home and just be overwhelmed and not be yes. able to do it. So yeah. we have, have our clients are very compliant and very wonderful, which is why our patients get better because, they, you know, we have them in our team. Yeah. Um, but you, that word of warning is don't overload people at in the initial consultation by trying to change everything at once because if you, if you change everything at once too, you know, you don't you're setting know what's your working. clients up to fail, you don't yeah. know what's working yeah. and therefore you set the patient up to fail too. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's good to um, provide a summary of this is where we're going mm. but try, step not by to, step. try not to overdo it and don't, don't feel you need to prove yourself because – they know you're a veterinarian, that you've done all that study. You know, you don't need to to continue to prove that you're smart no. and you always know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, just keep it simple and straightforward and uh, realistic 
um, so have realistic expectations of your patient and your client. Yes, very well put. Kate, I wish every I wish every clinician had the, the same approach. We might be um, winning a lot more. <laughs> oh, we're getting there. We're yeah. Getting there. <laughs> well, I um, I'll I'll let you go, Kate. But can you just let us uh, let our listeners know where they can find you and um, learn more about Carpets? So we're located um, in Balcatta on Gibbard Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unit 3, number 26, Gibbard Road, Balcatta, Western Australia. Yep. Um, we have a really fabulous website at um, Carmpets, which is kalmpets.com.au, mm-hmm. which has uh, all the information you need to understand uh, the range of services that we have to offer and also a really fantastic blog and um, some free resources there that can really help get your problem behaviours under control. Great. Um, or you can give us a bell on 9240 Awesome. Thank you so much. Marvelous. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Kate. Me too. <laughs> it's been great. Let's I, talk again. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk again. I'm thinking up all the topics already. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, <laughs> before we go, just one final question. Are you able to leave our listeners um, with a final pearl of wisdom when they're trying to manage their behaviour cases from a holistic approach? Yes, I think that one of the most important things, and this comes back to what we were saying before about realistic expectations, to to recognise that what we know of the cognitive abilities of dogs is that they have cognition that is very similar um, to a two or three-year-old child. And that that is very important because mm. um, they, they live in the moment. So yes. the only thing that matters to dogs is what is happening for them right now. Yes. So we have to make sure that every moment counts for them and that we don't um, overestimate their intelligence. You know, they yeah. never do anything intentionally. Yeah, they, no malice. They love you yeah. unconditionally. Yeah. They are just toddlers. And that's why I came up with the term dogglers. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so remember, they're just dogglers. Oh, they live great. in the moment and they're counting on you. Yeah. Oh, that's that's such a nice way to finish today. I've I've so enjoyed our chat um, and we will thank have you, you back. <laughs> Your absolute Lovely. wealth of knowledge. So thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. This is the Pure Animal Podcast and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard.